Welcome to Manners and Madness. <laughs> Jane Austen and David Lynch by <laughs> My- <laughs> yeah. What happened? I love it when she gets a giggle. This kind of opening has been cut out of so many episodes. <laughs> I can just leave like the tail end. Okay, here we go. <laughs> That's what always happens. <laughs> Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we will be diving into episode three of Twin Peaks. Yes. <laughs> or episode two, if you don't count the pilot as episode one. Oh, God. <laughs> we it's have to clarify. Every week. <laughs> Technically, it's called episode two, but it is episode three on your Hulu account. Yes. But this week we have a very, very special guest. <laughs> <laughs> One of the specialists. (laughs) I'm a specialist. Erin DeChico. Thank you. Thanks for having me today, guys. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for being here. We're super excited. Yes. Erin and I go way back, especially (laughs) in the Twin Peaks department. Yeah. Maybe our love for Twin Peaks almost goes back as far as our friendship. I don't know. I think that... Joey McElroy. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love Joey McElroy is where we need to start that. <laughs> well, why don't you introduce yourself, Erin? Um, well, I am Erin DeChico, and uh, I I am a musician and um, I guess a writer now. I'm about to graduate with my English degree, and I've been writing a lot lately, so I'm, I guess that's a thing I do, maybe. Ooh, now. congrats. Um, so yeah, it's awesome. And I am a wife and a mom, and... Yes. And she composed our theme music. I was about music. to say, oh, yeah. she did our Yeah, theme. and I wrote the theme music. Okay, and then side note, I just want to say that, like, did that music, like, a long time ago when I was with a boyfriend, and he always kind of tried to say that he helped write it, and I'm just here to tell you, I'm claiming, <laughs> I'm reclaiming my music. He didn't write any of it. <laughs> Set I the record straight. I will. We've stricken him from the record. Uh, so. Yes, I have <laughs> taken him out of the narrative. <laughs> Aaron wrote it all, and... <laughs> <laughs> She performed most of it, too. And actually, the only thing from that show that we haven't used on this podcast is the song that you wrote, that you sing. And I was thinking, maybe I'll just put it at the end of this episode, because what better time would there be to share it with the world? Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Bring her yeah. back. So, yeah, we'll play that at the end. It's a song from Psycho Beach Party that, you know, it's like, it didn't have music written for it. We wrote yeah. the music. We did our little <laughs> adaptation. It was super cool. Yeah. Well, let's start with Erin. We do first impressions at the beginning. So, but first, why don't you give us a little of your David Lynch background? Like, when did you first get to know it? When did you first see Twin Peaks? Okay, well, um, my first impression of Twin Peaks and uh, David Lynch in general was in high school. My best friend, Chelsea, is your younger sister. We were uh, best friends all through high school. And, I, you know, you and I did a show together, like, the year before that. So you and I, like, knew each other. But I think our friendship kind of solidified later. Yeah. Um, and But when we were in high school, it was, like, the cool thing to do if Maya broke out the Twin Peaks. Like, we <laughs> were going to cool sit kid. and watch Twin Peaks and get super creeped out before we went to bed. Um, and then when Chelsea moved to Tennessee... She brought a copy with her, and we watched all of them all the way through. Yeah. And I think that that is when I really, like, became a, a hardcore fan. And then I rewatched them. 
again a couple years later and it's just kind of become a thing and yeah and then um this couple last years um in school I've taken to uh, writing about it as much as possible because there's actually an astounding amount of academic <laughs> literature on another uh-huh. thing Jane Austen and David Lynch have in common <laughs> yes uh s- smart people love people to will pick it apart <laughs> oh, well I mean there's just so much to analyze and you can go at it from so many different viewpoints um, I wrote a paper about like psychoanalysis in Twin Peaks, and um, unfortunately, it was all about Lacan, so it probably doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense <laughs> to me. I wrote the paper, so you guys can have at it sometime if you'd like. But um, my latest thing has been diving into like the Native American mythologization of like the Native American characters. So I really pick into like Michael Horse's character, Tommy uh-huh. Hawk um, Hill, and. <laughs> Uh, kind of go into all of uh, just the syntax that is used about that and uh, the myth that comes out of that. So that's that's my jam. Uh, so and really, I owe it all to you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to read some of these papers, so you need to send them over for okay. me to proofread before you. Uh... <laughs> proofread. Oh God, I've already said the myth, but you'll be happy to know I received A's on all the projects. And I'll get them to you tomorrow. I mean, I'll just help you know check for. Typos. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what if, do you have any memories of the first time you saw this episode? I, the last part of the episode, I think, is so iconic. So I think the dream is the most like yeah. standout impression to me. Like that, that really hit me the first time I watched it, and that I remembered. Yeah. And um, do you have any other? Where are you? What's your other David Lynch? Have you seen all of his other stuff too? Most of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, if I had another favorite, I, just can Firewalk with Me be my other favorite? <laughs> it's so cray. I love Mulholland Drive. I know Chelsea loves Firewalk with Me. Yes. I told her she'd have to be our guest whenever yes. we finally yeah. get to that one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's probably why I do too. I mean, so much of like why I love Twin Peaks is just deep nostalgia for yeah. like that time period, <laughs> and like it just it represents a lot of great things to me. Yeah. Well. Um. What about you, Christian? Do you have a first impression? Yeah. Uh, first time I saw this was two years ago. And uh, I don't know. Like, it seems like the beginning is, um, it starts off super, like, you know, detective crime mystery-ish. And then it quickly veers into supernatural craziness. Yeah. And that's, like, I think, because I always heard that, like, Swim Peaks was very, like, you know, what Weird. the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah. But this was, I think, the first part where you're like, oh, okay, no, so we're going here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved when, I loved the, when Laura Palmer actually appears. Yeah. And like, it just has this like effect on you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I cannot remember the first time I saw it. <laughs> yeah. It was so long ago. But um, I do know that a lot of what is in this episode is in the international version, which I've already said a million times. It was the one I'm most familiar with. So what I used to do is watch the pilot and then I'd get to this episode and be like, why did they put this in twice? (laughs) (laughs) Because I mean, I'd only seen the pilot the one time when I was 12. How am I supposed to remember (laughs) what exactly happened? So, um, yeah. So I love it though. Rewatching it. I was like, there are actually a lot of really great scenes that lead right up to that last one. Uh-huh. So yeah. I'm excited to talk about it. Me too. All right. So let's get into some notes. <laughs> Episode 
episode three, titled Episode Two. (laughs) (laughs) Also titled Zen, or The Skill to Catch a Killer. It was written by Mark Frost and David Lynch. And this one was directed by David Lynch. (laughs) Hence the cool lighting. Yes. I mean, he had already filmed, I guess, a lot of this for the the international pilot. So maybe he was like, well, I got to do this episode for sure. (laughs) (laughs) 20 minutes work. I can do this. Yeah. There's a couple new characters in this one. We get Michael J. Anderson as the man from another place. Mm -hmm. um, Or the arm, as I always refer to him. (laughs) And Miguel Ferrer as Albert Rosenfield. (sighs) One of my favorite, so favorite best, characters. I love him so much. I mean, although you might not love him after just watching this episode. No. <laughs> <laughs> and also David Patrick Kelly as Jerry Horn. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, yeah, ugh, there's so much to come. Okay. It was first broadcast on April 19th, 1990. Ooh. Got a minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was re- well received and it was being regarded as groundbreaking (laughs) elevation. Okay. Well-received and regarded as groundbreaking episode of television. And it has influenced and been parodied by several television series Mm -hmm. since then. The Red Room scene was constructed from scratch by Lynch for the European pilot. And it wasn't originally intended to be part of the series. But David Lynch was so pleased with how it turned out that he decided to add it. And he said that he conceived of the sequence while leaning against his car on a cold night while its chassis was hot and he f- was free associating ideas. Huh. I like that. <laughs> you really got to get the specific of the, the chassis. <laughs> oh. Okay, so David Lynch first met Michael Anderson while working on Ronnie Rocket, which eventually became Blue Velvet. Ooh. At the time, supposedly, Ronnie Rocket was to be about electricity and a three-foot guy with red hair huh Hmm. (laughs) which doesn't sound like what i remember we we read was what ronnie rocket was about but now i can't remember remember at this point (laughs) um so as soon as he conceived of the scene he thought of him so i guess whatever that was definitely got cut out of the final blue velvet miguel ferrer met lynch while working on another film project that was also never made (laughs) (laughs) And when David Lynch sent him scripts for episodes one and two, uh, Ferrer, Miguel Fer, how do you say it? Ferrer? Ferrer. Miguel Ferrer found that he didn't really understand. And it wasn't until Lynch sent him the copy of the pilot that understood what was going on. Yeah. I guess he just sent him episodes one and two, but not the pilot. So he was like, I don't understand what this show is about. So, okay. And the backwards dialogue, it was an idea that Lynch had been working on since 1971, and he had wanted to use it in a racer head. Ah. Okay. But he couldn't ever find a good use for it until now. I, I, was <laughs> say, I don't think it would have fit in a racer head, at least for me. Yeah. It just would have seemed like, okay, I feel like it would have taken that one step too far. Yeah, like hat on a hat on a hat. Yeah. <laughs> I think it, yeah. I well, love it in this show. And like, I feel like I've read somewhere that Michael Anderson, like when he was a child, had a yeah twin or something like that yeah i remember hearing that too like he um had been working on this sort of a thing since uh, for a while since ch- Just yeah like he and his twin <laughs> had like a secret language and they spoke backwards to each other or something oh my yeah. gosh <laughs> yeah they so basically they would record their dialogue and then play it backwards and learn what it sounded like played backwards and then um, they would say it backwards. And they would also perform their movements backwards. Mm-hmm. 
at least parts of it. There's some parts that I'm like, I don't think this is a backwards part. I mean, parts besides Cooper. Yeah, but like, and that becomes, I think, like an Easter egg throughout the series in those Red Room scenes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Frank Byers was the episode's director of photography. His inspiration, he used uh, wide-angle lenses and soft lighting, and he was inspired by Orson Welles' 1968 film, A Touch of Evil, or Touch of Evil, not eight. (laughs) (laughs) He also chose to work mainly with natural light and only to add additional light from the floor if needed. And all the female cast members were lit with like a soft light from close range Mm -hmm. to help create the veneer of innocence and comfort. (laughs) (laughs) Kimmy Robertson described Lynch's directing method as hypnotic. He used (laughs) a question and answer approach to discussing scenes with her, which she described as unique among the directors she had worked with. And when Kyle MacLachlan had to do the stone throwing scene, David Lynch sat the whole cast down and told them that Kyle was going to hit the bottle. And he hit it, and everybody freaked out. (laughs) (laughs) She said it was like David used the power of the universe. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. The episode was viewed by 12.1 million households, which represented 21% of the available available audience. And um, it... The broadcast inspired several complaints about the sexual overtones of the scenes where Ben and Jerry eat baguette sandwiches, which I think they might have been talking about the scene after that where they go to One-Eyed Jack's because there's no... That's a lot more sexual overtones. (laughs) Yes, but maybe... I don't know. Maybe it was just the way that they were chowing down. I just made them think it was really disgusting. Yeah, it's it's so fear because... They're like, they're almost like, if you would say they're like sexual, it's like phallic. Mm-hmm. But if you would, I, I feel like it'd be more sexual. You like definitely could use the other thing as a sandwich too, I think, though. I think it could go both ways. Yeah. And yeah. Well, it, it just, just seems, seems weird to be complaining about that, that being too then... sexual when the next scene they're at a... Um, a brothel. A brothel. <laughs> that just goes to show. And teenagers in sex slavery. I mean, we can talk about that. (laughs) Apparently not. Okay. Last thing, or not the last thing, the episode was parodied in the Simpsons episode, Who Shot Mr. Burns, Mm -hmm. where the characters of Dale Cooper and the man from another place were replaced by Chief Wiggum and Lisa Simpson. (laughs) (laughs) And the log lady intro for this episode. Uh, Queen. She says that sometimes ideas like men, jump up and say hello. (laughs) (laughs) These ideas speak so strangely. All we see are based on someone's ideas. Some ideas are constructive, some destructive, some arrive in the form of a dream. That's like the base. Like, I think I just boiled it down to its basic. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then she repeats, some arrive in the form of a dream. I can say it again. (laughs) I can say it again. (laughs) If you didn't get it. I always, I was noticing this time, I thought she sounded like, um, like a teacher who's pissed off at you. Scolding you. (laughs) Admonishingly, like. Yes. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Okay. Oh, now it's time for the recap. Yay. oh so i looked up what the bird was the very first bird we Mm -hmm. see oh yeah did i say this in the last episode i don't think so i don't think so it's called a thrush okay it's a common bird we have them here in um that area 
I'm sure we have all the birds. They all fly through. We have all the birds. (laughs) (laughs) I swear, we have crazy birds. I used to... All birds are crazy. When I cleaned pools, I used to... Somebody had a peacock in their yard. I would always hear it. It was crazy. And then I saw it crossing the road. It was an albino. Story gets stranger and stranger. (laughs) (laughs) Maya, there are so many layers to the story. You can't leave out. Is there anything else you need to let us know? (laughs) It had one leg, but it was crossing the road. (laughs) The crossing the road was very odd. Peacocks are so distinctive with their cause. Okay. (laughs) Let's move past the birds. (laughs) (laughs) The thrush. (laughs) Okay. We start at um, the horn house. They're all having dinner, and it is very silent. It's a very joyous scene. Johnny is, like, humming to himself, but other than that, no one's speaking a word. Just just sounds of clinking on plates. (laughs) Pushing peas around on the plate. Yeah. And then a very loud visitor arrives, and it's Jerry Horn, Ben's brother, and he's making the staff, like, bring in his bags and search his bags for these baguettes that he brought. (laughs) Mrs. Horn is very annoyed. And um, the sandwich is brie and butter on a baguette, and it just sounds heavenly. Yeah. And it always has. I've always thought, that sounds like the best sandwich. It does sound really good. We should have made those and enjoyed them. Do you know how many times I think about that, (laughs) doing this podcast? Why do I not theme my food for this podcast? (laughs) It's always frozen pizza every time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he just flew him over from France. Gross. (laughs) Gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no big deal. Uh, they've only been sitting in my bag for 12 hours, but... Okay, so Ben <laughs> eats it from the middle, like, it's a clob of corn. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just in raptures. And this show really has a thing for people with food in their mouths trying to talk. <laughs> yeah, with too much food in their mouth. Uh-huh. Uh, they go outside... Always a pleasure. I don't know. I guess he says always a pleasure. Yeah, as he's walking out, he looks at his entire oh, family. Oh, yeah. He says, always, <laughs> a always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. <laughs> right. I love that phrase in general. <laughs> I always say that. So, Ben tells Jerry that Laura was murdered and the Norwegians left. And um, Jerry's depressed. <laughs> because the Norwegians left. <laughs> yes. Because the Norwegians left. He doesn't even think about the fact that Laura's dead Laura until no, way it's after the conversation. Way secondary. Yeah. Um, but Ben can fix him up because there's a new girl at One Eye Jack's from the perfume counter. Dun, dun, dun. Foreshadowing. So they jump in a very fancy boat <laughs> and speed on over. There's a fancy scene that happens too because the camera pans to this not great painting that's hanging on the wall that's like maybe a mural <laughs> yes and it's like the woods and then all of a sudden the boat comes out of the woods yes. and it's like oh somebody thought long and hard about that one in film school <laughs> <laughs> uh, i don't know who edited this one i don't think it was Dwayne dunham oh then we're at the haywards uh. james is complimenting the huckleberry hat pie <laughs> huckleberry pie <laughs> and uh her parents go to bed don't forget about church in the morning, Donna. <laughs> glad she got a choice. Yeah, she did get a choice. We were commenting on that. That's nice. Um, and then we're back to the Horn Brothers. They've arrived at uh, One Eye Jack's, and they are very condescending to the bar- bartender mm-hmm. and very gross. And a whole gaggle of ladies form ranks, and Blackie saunters in. <laughs> 
And Ben starts this soliloquy. Yes, he starts Blackie. Romeo's soliloquy <laughs> to Blackie. And you're like, okay, we get it. You played Tony. Thank you. <laughs> the music is like swelling and it's all dramatic. Yes. And then Jerry's like, where's the new girl? <laughs> it really kills the moment. Annoying little brother. Moment. Yeah, that was Blackie's moment, yo. <laughs> and then they flip for it and Ben wins, of course. Of course. I bet he has a, one of those dummy quarters in his pocket that he saves for those occasions, so he always wins. But that was Jerry who flipped the coin. Oh, Jerry, Jerry should have just... chosen better. <laughs> he should have the, <laughs> the faux coin. I think Ben just, you know, he trusts his, his own luck enough that he gets it. Gross. <laughs> okay, so we're back at the Hay- Hayward house, and Donna and James are convincing each other that what they're doing is right. <laughs> it's the justification scene. And very yeah. harsh whispers. And they just seem so innocent as they whisper at each other as they kiss. Oh, yes. James. They wow. really love to whisper kiss. Yes. Those two. Yes. These are not long, long-lasting long relationships that do a lot of whisper kissing, I feel like. <laughs> well, you know, I don't think it's a great time to start a relationship. Like, the day after you're girlfriend slash best friend dies it's just not destined but when you're 16 you don't realize that that's just like your grief needs you know (laughs) your grief is looking for an outlet exactly or you know you have good writing whatever (laughs) (laughs) okay so we see cooper coming into his room and whistling his little whistle we saw in the last episode very pleased and like why I don't know. It's almost like he whittled it himself because he was sanding it. So I don't know. Like maybe he's going to paint it or something. <laughs> um, hot calls. What does he say? He says, <laughs> Cooper says, how's Ronette Pulaski? Because we find out Ronette Pulaski was, you know, also found. And uh, he goes, her body and her spirit are far from each other. <laughs> <laughs> Man. God. Wow. I know. Yikes. I never noticed a lot of this stuff, but Aaron is pointing out. Oh yeah, I'll point Aaron. every one of them out to you. <laughs> what was the uh, the Tom Tommy Hawk? Yes, his name is Tommy Hill, and his nickname is Hawk. But if you see it written, it's Tommy Hawk, which is like Tomahawk, which is like <laughs> it's like wow, your standard <laughs> Native American weapon, guys. Like, Very creative. Yeah. Oh, David. But more importantly. Ronette had recently left her job at the perfume counter. Oh, just heard about that. And he saw a one-armed man. (laughs) And then a note arrives under uh, Cooper's door, and it says, Jack with one eye. And he sniffs it and smiles. (laughs) He knows. He knows. Who do you think it's from? It's from Audrey. Who else would he know? (laughs) Who else's smell? Yeah. Well, they did have a very flirty scene. Exactly. They did, and he knew that he was not doing the right thing. Because this is still the nighttime <laughs> yeah. from the day before, so yes. this is all still the same day. Mm-hmm. Okay, and last scene of the day, <laughs> Mike and Bobby are out in the woods. Fools. <laughs> Mike has a pocket knife. <laughs> or switchblade. <laughs> and they go to collect this football, the football we saw Leo mm-hmm. cutting open last episode filled with coke. And Leo is waiting for them with a gun. A giant shotgun. Yeah. Yes. And, oh, I did read something about this scene that they originally, when they were filming it, David Lynch, they had brought in, like, a giant light for the moon or whatever, and David was like, no, I don't want any of that. We're just going to use these flashlights. And it's kind of cool, because if you watch the flashlight during the scene, there's, like, 
it's clearly got like a red um filter on it but yes. like it's very choreographed the way the light is hitting each person's mm-hmm. face mm-hmm. it's really well done yep yeah, they see somebody shady ducking behind the tree. Yeah. Ugh, and like, I listened to some people that were like trying to analyze it a while back and they were like, is it the one-armed man? Is it blah? And I'm like, yo, Leo doesn't know any of these people. Think about who Leo hangs out with. <laughs> I'm thinking it's probably if he felt like he needed to bring muscle to like help out like one of those skeevy Renault brothers from the Bang Bang Roadhouse. Yeah, that seems most likely. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, probably mm. a Renault. But some people don't know Renault yet. So. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I, I know because I've watched it before. Oh, well, we did I don't mention rem- him in the last episode because yeah. Ed okay. says Jacques Renault was tinning bar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so we know of it. But there's three of them and they all have like <laughs> French names. Oh, they're from Louisiana. And French accents. <laughs> they're from Canada. Oh, I thought they were Cajun. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> right there by the border. It's pretty close. I mean, you know. Okay, where was I? Um, so oh, they don't. Ha- yeah, they're telling him that they don't have the rest of the money because Laura had it. It was in her safety deposit box. And then Leo threatens them, and he seems to know that Shelley is sleeping with someone else, but he doesn't really seem to know who. No. But how does he know again? Like I don't remember. How because does he... he found some cigarette butts? Oh, that's in right. His... And he's like, you don't smoke these. That's right. Yeah. And then the soap and the, yeah. Yeah. Leo is, yeah, well, the, he, that was because of the bloody shirt, but. Oh, God. He's the worst. He's just the worst. He's very creepy with this red flashlight face. Mm-hmm. And he tells him to run, and they do, and he throws a football at the car. Like the biggest <laughs> Hail Mary that has ever been. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, if I hadn't quit school, I would have been the captain of the football team. Lord. <laughs> So then it's the next day, and the first thing we see is Ed coming into the house covered <laughs> in grease, <laughs> and he comes in as Nadine is on her rowing machine, and he steps on the drape runner and spills oil on it, and she says, you make me sick. <laughs> 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 and then she gets super strength and destroys the rowing machine. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. She's I love her. So awesome. And this is like the moment where you're like, yeah, I love you. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's the moment that will solidify your love for Nadine. So then, um, okay, Cooper, Harry, Hawk, and Lucy and Andy are yep. all setting up something in the woods with a bottle and a chalkboard and a whole bunch of donuts. <laughs> More donuts than five people could possibly eat. I want some. <laughs> she, just, she takes her job so seriously. Yeah. I wonder what they do with the leftover donuts at the end of the day. There's no way they could possibly eat all say, those donuts. Are there donuts. leftover donuts? Yeah, that's the I, question. They just give them to all of the town drunks yeah. and anybody. <laughs> Everyone in the drunk tank gets yes. a donut. I, again, I need to see the donut budget because <laughs> out of the water... That's where I wonder the if money. they're just a bunch of fake donuts. I meant for the police station. No. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> someone's buying those donuts. That's mm-hmm. true. Well. <laughs> 80%. I guess they're taxpayer donuts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so we see them setting up something, and then we see um, Shelly turns off Invitation to Love. Yeah, the right. The town's favorite soap opera. We haven't seen much of it yet. That mm, might have been our first, first one. one. Yep. yep. And Bobby comes over, and Shelley reluctantly lets him in, 
and he sees her bruises from last night and she says that she's afraid leo will kill them both and um bobby vows to kill leo See, and y'all, y'all talk some smack about Bobby, but here he is being a good person, talking about getting rid of Leo. I, I like Bobby. Do you? I do. Okay. I just think that he's, um, he doesn't start off in the best place. Okay, and I might agree with you there, but I yeah. can fix him. He's so I love, cute. I mean, there's not a character on Twin Peaks that I don't have some love for. Okay. Even Leo, I mean, he has stuff, and I... By the end, I'm like, okay, Leo. Okay, yes, okay. okay. Um, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, I did want to mention, though, that Bobby's leather jacket is squeaking quite a bit during that kiss. <laughs> <laughs> so then we see Norma working, and Ed walks in. He's in the doghouse. Oh, <laughs> but when, when Ed walks in, he... Hitler salutes Norma, like, straight up. It's so weird. so, like, why? I think he's more like a top of the morning. Maybe so, maybe so. I think it doesn't help that she's blonde and blue-eyed. This, yes. <laughs> but he says that Nadine's got one big B in her body. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, uh, so, and uh, Lucy's pouring coffee, and it's so hot that Cooper spits it out. <laughs> First but I it's thought, still good. Does this one have like a fish as well? <laughs> but no, it's just hot. And they all take a seat while Cooper explains this experiment by starting with the history of Tibet. <laughs> <laughs> he said that he's moved by the Tibetans' people's the Tibetan people's plight because of a dream he had three years ago. He also awoke from this dream with the knowledge of a deductive. <laughs> Cannot speak. A de- de- <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> a deductive technique that combines intuition and body. And today they focus on the J's. <laughs> yep. So he wants them to read the names and he's going to throw the rock at the bottom. And he gives everyone a job, but it seems kind of like he could have done it alone. <laughs> I, Hawk has to wear. Oven mitts? Kitchen mitts. (laughs) (laughs) So we get James Hurley. He misses. Josie. A little bit closer, but still a miss. Jacoby. Knocks off the bottle, but it doesn't break. Make a note of that. Then we get Johnny Horn, (laughs) and it misses by a mile. Norma. It stops short. Shelly. It hits a tree, then bounces off and hits Andy in the head. (laughs) Didn't hurt. (laughs) Yeah. Where there's no sense, there's no feeling. So mean. <laughs> oh my god. Leave him alone. But you know, Andy laughs. I think it's like a, a joke between them. Yeah. Yes, he's gotten used to being the scapegoat for all of their insecurities. Yes. <laughs> Jack with one eye. Oh, that's not a person, that's a place. So we're gonna erase it. Are we gonna erase it? Yes, I think we're gonna erase <laughs> Lucy! it. Lucy <laughs> And then Leo Johnson. Smash! Smash he breaks the bottle. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so then we have Audrey goes into the double arm where the Haywards are already eating after church. And the Haywards saw her at church, which is very surprising. <laughs> yeah, and the mom is so salty about all of this, too. She's like, there's Audrey Horn. Saw her at church today. There's little Audrey Horn. See, I don't think of Eileen as being passive-aggressive. Oh, really? I, I get the creepiest mean vibes from her like mean girl vibes she just seems so like meek and sweet (laughs) (laughs) maybe it's a facade say maybe she's heard things about audrey and it's just not okay in her book well it's true 
I mean, she's probably glad to see her at church then. (laughs) (laughs) Donna goes to say hi, and Audrey says that she went because of Laura. She's probably having some, I mean, she's definitely having some issues right now. Yeah. We haven't really gotten into her issues yet. No, we have not. But Donna calls her on her BS. (laughs) Maybe she was actually looking for um, Cooper, thinking he might go to church. Oh. That's an (laughs) interesting angle. Because that's all she's thinking about, because she's got her coffee. Oh, she does say that there were things about Laura she didn't like, but she did help her brother. Which I can understand. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Audrey now likes her coffee black because of Agent Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> and she asked Donna if Laura ever talked about her father. Hmm. Hmm. He's, she says he used to sing to her. And then she changes the subject. She says she loves the music and isn't it too dreamy? And then she dances to yeah, it. Yeah, kind she of. Does. She sways <laughs> to it. She feels it. That's for sure. Yes. <laughs> And everyone stares at her. Yes. Yes. She <laughs> because she's care. dancing in a diner. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy music to have on a jukebox, but... It is. There's some weird ones if on I that. If I came across that song on a jukebox, I think I'd be compelled to get up and start dancing, too. Yeah. Isn't the Bobby song on that, too? The... <laughs> like, oh, yeah. When he leaves, yeah. Like... Yeah. <laughs> Actually, when we get to the deep dive, there's some interesting parallels between those songs. Okay. Okay. So... Hawk found this bloody rag near the murder site. Yuck. He seems to be doing a lot of investigating while um, everybody else is following Cooper around. P.S. <laughs> um, side note, Hawk does all the investigating. That's part of my research. <laughs> Hawk sad. does all of the important discoveries. He seems like he does all the footwork. He does. That's what, Anyway, I'm not going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> so then Albert arrives with a couple of FBI lackeys in there. Ugly shades. <laughs> yes, he's a Matrix tornado. <laughs> he's so brusque and rude. But oh my god, I love Albert so much. I do too. <laughs> okay. Cooper warns Harry um, that he lacks in social niceties, even though he's the best in the biz. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then honks his nose. That's, yes. Oh, that my. little. S- <laughs> 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 he honks his nose. It's so cute. That's. How you know they've fallen in love. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I ship it hard. Yeah. Joshi Shwoshi. <laughs> so Albert annoys Harry right off the bat. Welcome to amateur hour. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Harry takes him aside and, like, tries to put him in his place. And <laughs> Albert just walks away. <laughs> <laughs> With, like, a smirk. Yes. Cooper gives him a thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. Cooper's demeanor through that entire scene is so ridiculous because he's dealing with like his new husband <laughs> and like he clearly has a lot of respect and um history with albert so he's really i feel like we've all like been that friend mm-hmm. like we've been that person where you know that these two people are not getting along but you have to maintain that like bridge somewhere so like yeah. i'm just gonna give you yeah. thumbs up smiles yeah. like you did the best you could yep. in the situation. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Okay, so then we go to... Ed, oh, this. Okay, I gotta remember this for the end. Because <laughs> this may be my favorite moment. This is when Ed comes home and Nadine screams at him. <laughs> and she runs in full bore and hugs him 
him as tight as she can. And she's just so happy that he spilled his grease on her cotton balls because that is what has finally made her drapes truly silent. <laughs> Completely silent. And she says, <laughs> we are going to be so rich. <laughs> <laughs> and Ed is terrified. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think from here on out, it's like all great. Yeah. <laughs> like all the scenes are just equally good. So I like to think that he's terrified because he sees the broken rowing machine. <laughs> <laughs> He hadn't noticed it before. He's like, oh, God. <laughs> yes. I agree. Okay. So we are at the Martells, and Pete and Catherine are in her room. She says everything smells like fish. <laughs> <laughs> and Pete is sneaking around and getting the key and giving the key to Josie so she can get the secret ledger. And then Catherine comes in and yells at Pete to go to his room. Ugh. Yeah, that was gross. Yeah, and then Josie opens the safe and finds two sets of books. <gasps> I guess Catherine and Ben won't be able to snooker her much longer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then, oh, very sad scene. Leland is having a breakdown. <sighs> yeah. He's listening to this big band record, and he picks up a picture of Laura and starts crying and spinning around with it. And then he starts to scream, and Sarah comes in, tries to take the photo, and the glass breaks, and he spreads blood on the picture, which... Uh, yeah, so I, um, I have read that he actually cut his hand during this scene uh-huh. and improvised the weird, like, spready blood thing he does over Laura's picture, huh. which, like... Bold choice, Ray-wise. Yeah. I know. And it's <laughs> wow. so, like, perfectly Lynchian. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He knew who he was working for. Yeah, like, understood the assignment. Because I yes. was always, I could, I never realized that. So I was like, because he grabbed Sarah's hand beforehand. So I was like, is Sarah bleeding or well, is he bleeding? Well, I can't they ch- tell. They check it. You yeah. can see. Sarah's behavior, like, bothers me in this scene because the man is having a moment. Like, Mm -hmm. trying to process the death of his daughter. And this scene, like, hit me really hard, like, when I watched it after I had a kid. Uh Um, Because, like, you don't... There's no talking until she comes in, but you start to realize, like, why is he playing Pennsylvania 6-5000? Probably because on Saturday mornings, he would throw Pennsylvania 6-5000 on the record player. And he and his daughter would dance around the room. Like, that is heartbreaking right so you start to get a real look into like this man is trying to grieve and there's a lot there yeah (laughs) but uh you know this grief has to happen for leland and sarah comes in and kind of like knocks the needle off the record like literally and figuratively and it's kind of her fault that the thing breaks and like she tries to wrench it out of his hands and i just go like Sarah choices like yeah. well yeah. she's also been going through a lot herself and she has has been <clears throat> drugged up so that, yeah. that, that happened yeah. so I yeah. think she is just it's just a, a house full of yeah sorry. chaos she's yes. just unable I think to kind of take a normal like outlook on it because of all these visions she keeps having absolutely yeah. and yeah. I'm sure she's having more that we're not seeing at this point mm-hmm. and she's probably I mean having one vision of Bob is more than yeah. enough to make me go crazy yes. she's probably like I'm falling apart you can't fall apart yes, yeah, yeah definitely I can dig that I just hate that like it all happens and he's just trying to like cry over the moment. death of his child you know yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. They're both broken. Oh, oh the Palmer. Yeah, see, it's just good scene after good scene. And then we get to the last scene, <laughs> the Ugh. craziest scene. Cooper goes to bed, and he falls asleep, and a dream begins. Ugh. And at first we see an older-looking Cooper sitting in a chair in a room with red curtains. And we hear a slowed-down clip of Sarah calling for Laura. And I think we even see her running down the stairs. And... Oh no no! First, before we see that, we hear the we hear the clip, and then yep. we see the little man rubbing his palms mm-hmm. um, with his back to us. Not the, I'm... the the man from another place. The man from another yes. place. <laughs> the arm. The arm. <laughs> and then we see a flash of Sarah on the stairs with Bob behind the bed. Ugh. Then we see flashes of the train car, and a flash of Laura in the mar- morgue, and the one-armed man says. Through the darkness of future's past, the magician, magician longs, longs to see. see. One chance out. <laughs> you can say it with me. I'm going to Fire, walk with me. me. Sorry, I was like, oh, shit, I said that out loud. <laughs> I literally wrote the whole thing. Because he, then he talks about how they um, lived in a convenience store above it. I mean it like it sounds. <laughs> yeah, oh gosh, the way his voice like changes when he says, "I say it like I mean, I mean it like it sounds." <laughs> and he says he too has been touched by the devilish one, a Yuck. tattoo on his left shoulder. But when he saw the face of God, he was changed. He took the whole arm off. Ugh. Oh gosh, it's chilling, Ugh. isn't it? Ugh. My name is Mike. His name is Bob. Oof. And then we see that Bob is the man who Sarah saw behind the bed. And he says, catch you with my death bag. You may think I've gone insane, but I promise I will kill kill again. again. (laughs) See, all that was definitely in the international version. All that stuff. It was more, it was less um, cut together, but there's more of it. And then back to the Red Room. And Cooper has medals. Like a co- like commendation medals. Hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, I don't think I've never noticed that. Yeah, and Laura is there, and Cooper looks surprised about that. The man from another place turns around and says, "Let's rock." <laughs> <laughs> and he sits next to Laura, and Laura touches her nose, and there's a little bewitched ding. Yes. <laughs> a sh- shadow flies by which you said was saturn yes and i've never seen saturn before but i'll have to look for it next time it's, yeah it i've always like just saturn. there goes saturn okay i always thought it was a flying carpet <laughs> <laughs> so, both equally like what <laughs> like where are we well there's like a globe or something sitting next to cooper right like yeah, or something like that yeah, and it's a saturn. saturn and cooper i don't know if we've mentioned is aged in this scene right like yeah, considerably yeah, yeah. yeah but it doesn't say 25 years later i don't know just when looks that saggy <laughs> he just looks old yeah he's just got like the old skin Wrinkle. big skin mm-hmm. it's not a very great it's not <laughs> it's you know i feel doesn't david lynch sometimes like Decides to do his actor's makeup. I've, I've read this somewhere and been like, he shouldn't do that. Kind of, because this whole thing was like a big lynch. Yeah. Yes. But I don't know. I Yeah. There's a certain budget they had. So. Oh, certainly. He yeah. had grayer hair that I could tell this time. So everyone's talking in this backwards way, except for Cooper. But the, um, the arm, <laughs> the man from another place says, I've got good news. That gum you like is going to come back in style. And... It's all subtitled. And he says, she's my cousin, but doesn't she look almost exactly like Laura Palmer? 
<laughs> and Cooper says, are you Laura Palmer? But he's not backwards. He's straight. No. And she says, I feel like I know her, but sometimes my arms bend back. And she kind of like does this when she says it. Yeah. Like moves her shoulders back a little bit like it hurts. Yeah. And I, oh, is there like a crickly noise or is that just something just, my brain? It's your brain like <laughs> <laughs> brain onomatopoeia happening. Uh, he says she's filled with secrets. And where we're from, the birds sing a pretty song, and there's always music in the air. I swear, the more weird it gets, the more I feel the need to write all the lines. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a. It, they're important. I mean, the words yeah, are, are sparse. They're poignant, and they're all very important. <laughs> yeah. Um. So then a strobe light starts flashing, and the man starts to dance away. Laura walks over and kisses Cooper, and then whispers in his ear, and then Cooper wakes up. <laughs> and he's got his hair sticking straight up <laughs> alfalfa style it's hilarious <laughs> yeah that is hilarious he calls harry and says to meet him in the morning he knows who killed laura but yes it can wait <laughs> until the morning <laughs> and then he starts snapping as if he's in a daze on one and three just like a white boy <laughs> <laughs> And then we get the credits, which feature for the first time um, the man from another place dancing. Yes, usually it's uh, the homecoming soap queen opera picture. music <laughs> over Laura Palmer's face. And, and then <laughs> next, and then this, I feel like, I mean, we were talking before, like, this is maybe the most important episode of Twin Peaks, aside from maybe two other ones that I can think of, like the first two seasons. Um, yeah. Because you get that first introduction to the Red Room. So it's important enough to like be like, hey, don't forget yeah. the Red Room and this little dude because he might like, be back. You thought this was just a soap opera murder mystery? Oh, no, no, no. There's levels. There's no. so many levels. <laughs> no. And I feel like all of that happens in that shift to, to the dream. Like Cooper lays down and turns the light off and then – um, you get him for a second laying this way and then the camera shifts a little bit and he's kind of shifting a little bit and all of a sudden the lighting just changes and it's like a moving light yeah. goes up and lands and to me it's just like so like jarring mm-hmm. and it, it reminded oh. me of a, a, some eraser head stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yes. The lighting it's got very, very similar. Lynchian. <laughs> Lynchian. It is though and I, I feel like that's just... Your doorway. That's the way you get to the Red Room, yeah. you know? Like, it's its amazing. <laughs> it's, it's thrilling, and it makes me love Twin Peaks Aww. every time I see it. Now for um, our favorite moments from the episode... Mine is the scene where Head comes home and Nadine screams his name and pushes out of her bedroom as fast as she can, like she's going to murder him, and then hugs him (laughs) as tight as she can and is so happy about her. And they really are silent. And I'm like, that's a great job. You did a great job, Nadine. And I hope you make, I hope you are rich. (laughs) She deserves it. Yes. Yes. Do you have a, a favorite moment? Uh, yes. Um, so I think probably the dream is my favorite moment. That shift uh, in lighting and um, I, I really got into like the psychoanalysis and I feel like the red room is just like rife with symbolism <laughs> and oh, yeah. um, 
there, there's just so many uh, things to look at and notice and um, analyze, and that's really fun to me. So anything that has to do with like the man from another place, Mike and Bob, um, are really gonna make me want more. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah every yeah. time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I can get soap opera from any old show on TV, but <laughs> when it comes to stuff like that, oh I, yeah, that's... that was the first time I watched it. That was the stuff that made me go. This is my favorite show ever yes. made mm-hmm. <laughs> and will be forever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Christian, did you pick one? Yes. My favorite scene would have to be when uh, Bobby goes to the woods Ooh. and the flashlight. That is and a good one. You love all the spooky to, scenes. I do love all the spooky <laughs> scenes. I just hate it because it feels so real because they used no lighting but the flashlights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just, whenever I see those kinds of scenes, I always picture in all the blackness that there are a million things hiding and waiting to get them. Oh, yeah. So That's like probably the first time we really are like, this. these are the woods and this is the scary side of them. Yeah. I don't know if we have any woods scenes before that. Well, and what is, can we just give our listeners a little idea of like, what is the forest called again? Pine, pine wood? Yeah, it's like, but it's referred ghost, to as like Ghostwood Forest. Ghostwood. Yeah. So, yes. I mean, it's implied in the name that there's something else happening. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've, in the last episode, I think I mentioned there is some like symbolism with the log lady. Yeah. And the, and the lumber. The lumber industry. A thousand percent. Of the town and how she's spiritually connected to everything. So. Yeah. Yes. The woods are evil and stay out of them. <laughs> That's like really solid advice in that town, I think. Yes, very. Oh, but there's also some other stuff in there. Okay. Yes, I know. I'm like, I keep having to like filter myself. I know. It's so hard. <laughs> but it's for the best because I'm really hoping some Jane Austen people will cross over and yes. watch Twin Peaks. So I don't want them to be spoiled either. Yes. And in three years, when we're done doing all the way through the end <laughs> of like, you know, I want to come back so we can do like a recap and be like, okay, this one point, remember this? Let's tie into this other thing that happens in the third season. Definitely. Yes. Asininely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's do our deep dive. And this week, we're going to do Audrey Horn. Psych, we're not really doing her. <laughs> I mean, we are kind of doing her, but we're not really doing her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because honestly, it's just too early to do anybody because I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't do any deep dives. Plus, it's kind of weird because like Twin Peaks, there's nothing. I don't know how much there is to deep dive. I mean, maybe there's more than I know because you're more familiar. See, I'm always in the Jane Austen site coming across people's graduate theses yes. <laughs> that I can't read because I need to pay money to some service to be able to read people's theses. And so I bet there's Twin Peaks ones too. I should oh, yes, just there are. find whatever's the best. <laughs> there's uh, there's actually a book that it has like just academic essays in it. I will let you borrow it. Okay. Yeah, I think you would enjoy it. I know you have a lot of reading time in your spare time. So, <laughs> so actually what, what I thought we'd do is, did I already say this? Audrey's Dance? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you said Audrey, but not really Audrey. Oh, yeah. So what I did was I did the deep dive on her song, the song Audrey's Dance. Uh, it was written, of course, by Angelo Badalamenti. Hashtag queen. Yes. <laughs> oh, God, I love the music from Twin Peaks so much. Mm-hmm. Me too. So this creepy. This song is considered cool jazz, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> it says it has a distinctive walking bass line and rhythmic finger snaps and drums played with brushes. 
Is that? Would you agree with that statement? Not according to my jazz history <laughs> class that I just took. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that most people would be able to be like, "Ooh, that's cool jazz," and like it's representative of that. Yes, yeah. it shares the songs share stylistic elements and musical motifs with other songs on the soundtrack, um, and several variations and alternate arrangements of the song were used throughout the show's run. Despite its title, it was often used for other characters in the show, particularly Bobby Briggs. That's correct. Uh, <laughs> it happens in the wood scene. Um, it's the music that's uh -huh. used in the wood scene mm -hmm. in this episode. Yeah. Uh, so I, you did mention like a, did we say that earlier in the episode? I don't know. What? <laughs> that Bobby, um, that song reminds you of Bobby. Oh, or, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a song that's in the jukebox, and he has that other song that's oh, in the jukebox. Oh, that's right, 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 right. So there's like a tie in there. Yeah. Jukeboxes and Bobby, I don't know. <laughs> Classic American boy. <laughs> 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 the song's been often compared to lounge music. Yeah. Yeah. That's more, yes. Yeah. It's a... Uh, Royal S. Brown wrote that the song has a not swing style that simultaneously captures the good old days and the, the quest angst. <sighs> Typos make me not know what I was trying to say. <laughs> some, some sort of angst of the modern period it is stuck in. So it captures the good old days and the angst of the modern era at the same time, basically. Okay. Making it a perfect musical translation of a major facet of Lynch's vision. Yeah, yeah. because it was all like classical, wholesome, but yes. all this nah, going but on. But there's this the like undercurrent of yeah. like turmoil. Exactly. The walking bass line descends and ascends on a chromatic scale mm -hmm. on an octave starting with C. <laughs> <laughs> um, I basically completely ripped this song off for the Ann Bowman theme for Psycho Beach Party. I don't know if we've used that yet or if we ever even recorded it. But oh, maybe we didn't. <laughs> yeah, the Ann Bowman theme is Audrey's theme, basically. Wow. Uh, Ann don't Bowman? Tell, don't tell Ange. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ange. <laughs> Angie B. Don't tell her. So Wait, he, I don't know. What... Remember the Ann Bowman? Wasn't that the the... That Chicklet turns into the bad lady. Oh. She had like a theme when she came out too. Yeah, I don't have that one on the oh. album. I'll have to look and see. Probably because I ripped it off of Angie B. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and we were like, maybe let's not record it. Say, no one tag. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one tag. <laughs> so the song, oh, it was written with multiple harmonic suspensions. Badalamenti said, For the song, I got involved in the use of suspensions, dissonant notes that work in chords that rub against the melody and create a nice tension. And sometimes you take that dissonance, resolve it, and go to another melody. Yes. That makes so much sense. Because that's exactly <laughs> what it is. And it just builds and builds and builds. Yeah. There, uh, Claire Nina Norelli called a frequently used dissonant chord in the song Audrey's Chord, and that would be G, C, F sharp. Makes okay. me just want to walk over to the piano for a second. <laughs> it's like a tritone and a perfect fifth played at the same time. So you have like the dissonance of a minor second against the consonant tone of a perfect fifth. Mm, it's, yeah, it's, I wrote that contains a tritone. But I also wrote a sinister sounding musical interval that has historically associated with the devil. Yes, it is. <laughs> In the medieval times, it was like Ill illegal, punishable by terrible things if you played a, a really? minor second. Yeah. That's so Absolutely. <laughs> Would that be like, um, like whenever you watch movies that have like 
old timey like witches and like from back then and they have like their play their music on their like ancient instruments is that the kind of noise you get yeah what are these witchy instruments and i need I just, three of them <laughs> i just think of that movie the witch and there's a, a and like maybe um what's that movie oh i think there's it's a rob zombie movie where it's about like witches at the salem witch trials and Ooh, I'm they, interested they play like very gross looking instruments yeah, <laughs> it's creepy this Glass makes, harmonica. This is making, that's what I was just going to talk about. <laughs> one day I was going to say when we ever we do um, some, this one Jane Austen adaptation, they play one. And ever since I saw that movie, I became obsessed with the Glass Harmonica. Yes. And it like, if you don't know what it is, it was like nope. this big glass um, um, uh, circle, it, yeah, like, like a cylinder cone that spun of. and you played it with your fingers when there was music, I mean, water going mm-hmm. down it. And it used to supposedly make people crazy. <laughs> yeah, the frequencies or the overtones or whatever would, like, drive yeah. people nuts. Uh-uh. Yeah. I'm kind of, like, and this is a huge compliment, I'm surprised you haven't, like, gotten one. It just oh. seems like something you would, like, want to have, this I think relic. be prohibitively expensive, but I would love to have, if I could make one myself, I would make a glass harmonica in a second and I would play it all the time. <laughs> oh my God, please take up glass blowing so we can have a glass harmonica. Benjamin Franklin made one, I think. <laughs> See, just take it, follow Benny's lead. You got this. You got it. Benny and I'll Frank. play Audrey's theme on it. Actually, I, in the new Avengers, there's a scene um, during... A big funeral at the end. I don't know if I should spoil it or uh, the whole It's been out okay. for forever. Anyway, during the funeral at the end, there's a song that I was listening to on the soundtrack, and it sounds like a glass harmonica. And Ooh. I was like, I don't know how to ask Al Silvestri if he used a glass harmonica or how I would ever find out. But if anybody knows, please tell me because I am dying to know whether he used a glass harmonica in that song. Oh, well, wow. <laughs> I'm definitely gonna Google it when we're done. <laughs> I tried to Google it. I couldn't find anything. So hmm. maybe it's just a synthesizer or something. But anyway, where was I? Um, devil. Yeah, devil music. Yes. <laughs> That's the the, uh, there's also a lot of dissonance from the big band style instruments and the clarinet, which mm-hmm. would build to a like, near deafening cacophony. And the cumulative effect of the unresolved harmonic elements is a dreamscape that is not only dreamy, but downright spooky. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because that's what Audrey says. She says, oh, I love this music. Isn't it dreamy? Yeah. And I feel like that's really foreshadowy, too. Yeah. Um, this, Yeah. And especially since, I mean, Margaret at the beginning, like, kind of tells you, like, yeah, dreams, this, dreams, dreams, well, dreams. Dreams are very important yes. in this episode. <laughs> it also borrows some of the motifs from Laura Palmer's theme. Mm-hmm. So the snaps were added by Kenny Landrum, who performed the synthesizer. And they were inspired by West Side Story because of Richard Beamer. <laughs> and Russ. Well, and Russ, of course. I always think of Russ as being in West Side Story. I always forget that Richard Beamer was in it, but he thought of Richard Beamer. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> At first, uh, David Lynch and Bad Elementi weren't kind of reluctant to include the snaps, but they ended up embracing them and using them for in, with various characters, snapping and beats. Uh, the song was originally called Cool Cool Kyle, and Bobby's theme, because it was originally for Bobby. Hmm. Um, originally, I guess, Audrey wasn't supposed to be a very important character at all in the pilot. So that's why hmm. it was originally for Mike Mike and Bobby. And some for Coop. It was also in Coop under Cooper some. 
but um <laughs> cool cool kyle <laughs> but in episode two audrey listens to it in her dad's office and i think that's when it mm. became hers <laughs> and also in the diner in mm-hmm. this episode mm-hmm. so the dancing in the diner scene is considered iconic and has been called by critics audrey's most famous moment would you say that i mean i guess maybe after season three not to spoil anything you could maybe make an I argument for that but i would that there's like moments in season two that Audrey makes some really important statements. And... I feel like there's a lot of more iconic moments for Audrey, but that is a pretty iconic moment, so it could it be. It is. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it would be in the running, for classic, sure. Classic, especially for people that don't want to watch the second season. <laughs> yeah. So David Bushman and Arthur Smith said, it's a tableau that feels oddly suspended in time, mesmerizingly erotic, faintly nostalgic, and mildly unsettling. Though it's hard to put your finger on just why. In other words, it's pure Twin Peaks, and we love it. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Yes. Okay, so I thought we could still try to sort Audrey. Okay. And I was very excited because Aaron knows about astrology, too, so (laughs) (laughs) we could actually try to figure it out. I did see an article that said what they thought that she should be, but I did not agree. Okay. I mean, I could see an argument for it, but... I'll start off by saying I think she's definitely a fire sign. You think so? Well, she just feels like she's really ruled by her passionate nature. (laughs) See, I don't know. I would tag Audrey for a Scorpio. Like, Mm -hmm. first impression, Audrey is a Scorpio with some Pisces happening because she's obsessed with dreams. And I take into account Audrey's arc and everything, too, with all of it and through the third season. Um... I agree that she has some fiery nature, and I would love to throw <laughs> our shared sign of Leo <laughs> towards her. I was trying to keep it a secret, but we might as well tell everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I feel like she definitely has a lot of Leo. Yeah. No, I agree. Like, she at least has, like, a rising or, like, three or four planets and, like, Leo. <laughs> but, and... yeah, I could definitely see Scorpio as well. She's just so secretive. And maybe some, like... Um, Libra, Gemini. See, I think like Libra too. I could definitely see the Libra and the Gemini for sure because she leads that dual personality, like saddle shoes to pumps, (laughs) you know, in a matter of 30 seconds. And yeah, I don't know. She's definitely a complex character. Loner. She's a loner. And fire signs typically like have their people. Like, not maybe not even an entourage, but, like... Yeah, maybe I'm thinking of her a little too much in the third season. That? I mean, no, the second... The end of the second season. Yes. Yeah, okay. Right. Yes. Big girl pants, Audrey. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so let's say she is maybe, like, a Scorpio with a Leo rising. I buy it. <laughs> with a... What, what did you say? Pisces. Pisces. Maybe... Well, no, I don't think she's a Pisces moon. <laughs> No, 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 I know no, Pisces no. moon. Yes. No. <laughs> Maybe like just like her. I think she could be like a Libra moon or like a, yeah. I could see that. Or, or Gem. Gemini. Yep. Yeah. Libra or Gemini. One of those air signs. Yeah. Yeah. We got the, the nitty gritty for her. So, but that leaves her like pretty balanced, I feel like. If she's got yeah. like the water for her like sun sign, she's got the fire for the I rising. I wouldn't be surprised if she had her Venus and Taurus too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would be really easy to figure out. It'd be pretty easy to figure out her far out planets just due to like if we did a little investigating, maybe we should yeah. do that. Yeah. That'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Are they a Pluto and Libra generation? Okay. <laughs> That's really us, right? Uh... <laughs> and then for Harry Potter, I I mean, huh. I think that there's obviously two choices. 
She's a Harry Potter all the way, Gryffindor or Slytherin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I mean, she could. You could make an argument for Ravenclaw, perhaps. But I feel like she's definitely more of a Gryffindor or Slytherin. Yeah, I think she's a. I think she's a Gryffindor. S- do you? I see. Well, I feel like that's the like <laughs> hoping her fire sign is there. Yeah. Um, I yeah. s- I still like think she's very cunning and. Mm-hmm. True, true, true. There's things that I can't spoil with, but she makes some decisions that make me think like she's willing to like the bravery aspect, yes, tells me that. But she's also so like slinky and Yeah, let's say she's she's like on the good team of Slytherins, the ones who are fighting against Voldemort. Like we save her when all the S goes down in book seven. Oh yeah. 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 She's like a snake all the way. All right, and oh, uh, final thoughts. Hmm, final thoughts. I know I enjoyed this episode. I'm glad we're getting into the weirdness <laughs> and the supernaturalness, and uh, it like just I want like it gives you like a little tiny bit at the end, and I, I want a whole episode, <laughs> please. <laughs> want more. I know when you start going from like the pilot an hour and a half to these 45 minute episodes, you're mm-hmm. like. Oh, they're so short. They feel so short. <laughs> There's not enough. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I like it. I actually, I think I've reached my maximum capacity of binging shows in my lifetime. And now I need shows to come out once a week. It's the only way I can keep up with them. <laughs> Otherwise, they go into the pile of shows that I should binge one day. Yep. <laughs> Plus, I can remember them so much better if I watch them one week. If I watch them all at once, I will forget that show in like one week. I will forget really details. <laughs> do you want to do your final thoughts? Yeah, I don't know. Final thought. I love this episode. It's like you said, Christian, it's like that first glimpse into the weirdness and it's like, here's this open door. Won't you come in? And I'm like, yeah, I'm coming in. Yeah. I'm bringing <laughs> snacks and I'm going to sit my ass down too. Yeah. <laughs> Just barge it. Yes. I'm ready for all the weirdness. And I, I always get very excited at the end of this episode because yeah. I know the fun stuff's coming. Yeah. I mean, I think that this episode in particular probably had a huge impact on my personal aesthetic, my personal love of art, you know, my Mm -hmm. taste, my (laughs) everything. So yeah, I loved it. I loved it all the times I watched it this week. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Although I do have to say when I watched it back, did I already say this at the beginning? When I watched it back in the day, I was like, it was kind of redundant. Yes. Yeah, I did say yes, that. Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah. So anyway. Recommendations. Who wants to go first? <laughs> <laughs> I can go first. Okay. I'm going to recommend a TV show on Netflix, uh, The Chef Show, oh, with John Favreau and Roy Choi. Uh, it's. Have you guys ever seen? Uh, uh, it's a movie called Chef that John Favreau is in. Mm-mm. I think he directed it too. I never saw that movie, but I've watched the show. Yeah, I heard it. Apparently, chefs love it because it's like the most realistic depiction of what a chef is being a chef is actually like. <laughs> like he went to culinary school to get the skills oh and my everything. Gosh, that's amazing. But it's got a great cast. It's John Favreau. It's got Sofia Vergara, um, Scarlett Johansson. Um, but so they took that, and Roy Choi was his mentor for the movie. And now this they take, they take this show where they go to different cities each season and they meet with local restaurateurs and chefs and they learn how to cook oh, so different, different things. different city? I could never tell mm-hmm. what the rhyme or reason for where they went. But... First season, I think, is L.A. 
Second season, I can't remember where second one is, but third season is um, Las Vegas. Oh, they just came out yeah, Las that Vegas. Makes sense. Okay. Very cool. But and there's a lot of guest stars. Like there's Wolfgang Pucks on an episode, and Fine. um, there's this woman I can't remember her name, but she's like a really famous radio personality for chefs, and you'll recognize a lot of people. Yeah. Robert Rodriguez is on it. Oh, fun. <laughs> yeah, it's a really, it's, and you learn, I've learned a lot of stuff, probably a little more useful stuff than I've learned in school so far, but you learn a lot of fun stuff. It's really cool. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, and it's like really easy to watch. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like a 30 minute episode, but it, you're done. Yeah. Oh, sweet. <laughs> um, I could do mine next. Um, okay, this would be kind of a weird recommendation. First of all, <laughs> disclaimer, <laughs> I'm going to recommend music. <laughs> and, you know, as I've said, I'm not a big music person. But this is an album that my dad used to play in the car when I was a little kid. Also probably had a huge influence on my taste. Um, it's Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention, and the album is Freak Out. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that album. I still listen to it. I used to listen to the last two songs on that album and go, I would really listen hard to them because we'd be on a car trip and that's, you know, what I'm doing. I'm listening to this music. And I remember asking my dad, what does that mean? What does it mean? And he said, <laughs> only Frank Zappa could tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of David Lynchish, you know, in yes. that way. Um, so I definitely think we should put it on the playlist, but I'm oh, also yeah. going to make one recommendation from something that I made. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love you it. Should, yes. Um, I don't know if I should share it because it does use the music and I didn't ever get permission. It was just like a student film thing I made. Yes, I love it. It's like so nine minutes long. It's called It Can't Happen Here. But if you go to Vimeo and probably look up my Adkins or my Adkins It Can't Happen Here or something like that, I'm sure. Or maybe I'll just share my like vimeo page because there's only a few things on there and you can go look at it if you want (laughs) but it's my interpretation that i did in college of what he could have possibly been singing about so (laughs) (laughs) amazing yeah i love that film it's awesome (laughs) thanks yeah um uh, my recommendation is for um a store that you can find on Facebook or um, on the internet called Gathering Tribes. And Gathering Tribes is owned and operated by Michael Horse, the actor who plays uh, the character on Twin Peaks, Tommy Hawk Hill. <laughs> uh, he and his partner run it. It's uh, They make jewelry. They make beautiful Native American jewelry, silverwork. Uh, why can't I think of the thing? You know what I'm talking about. The blue one. Turquoise. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It's like aquamarine is not that. Um, but yeah, they, they work with a lot of really beautiful um, mediums and yeah, just support it. Give them a like. some of that. Yeah. yeah. I love buying stuff Check from little tiny stores. Like, and especially if it's hawks. Yes. (laughs) So hook hawk up and look up uh, Gathering Tribes. Yes. Well, this was so fun, Erin. We're definitely going to try to have you back as much as humanly possible because you are like the ultimate Twin Peaks fan with me. So (laughs) awesome. (laughs) This has been awesome. It's always good to have, you know, multiple female voices, I think, because... I oh, mean, yeah. yeah, in different voices because you get a lot of the same in the yeah, Twin sure. Peaks world. But not that, oh, God, never mind. I, I'm just so glad you're here. And <laughs> <laughs> I can't wasn't ready. <laughs> wait to have 
um, some more episodes with you. Yeah, yes. it's going to be great. And if you, oh, and I'm going to play the song at the end that's from Psycho Beach Party, and you can hear Erin singing. It was recorded like 15 years ago, but she's only gotten better. I oh mean, my God. she was amazing at, on the song, so don't, you know. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's called Chicklet Minds the Dick That's Made for You. Yeah, probably maybe not safe for work. I, I mean, yeah. it's tongue in cheek. Uh, yeah. Just turn the volume down when it gets to that part. It's fine. There's not a lot of cursing. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what else was I saying? Oh, did you already do our contact? No. Okay, contact information. <laughs> <laughs> so our Gmail is mannersandmadness at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at mannersmadness. Our Instagram is at mannersandmadnesspod. And our website is mannersandmadness.com, where you can leave us a voice message if you like. Yes, and I, I was going to ask you if you wanted to leave your... Socials. Social stuff. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm um, t- on Twitter. I'm at the Aaron Marshall because it was like before I got married. That's Marshall with no uh, vowels in it. And my <laughs> website is erindichico.com uh, and you can uh, find out where I'm performing and uh, things of that nature. Yes, she's always performing and she's going to school and she's mom and she has students. So she's like, <laughs> and I explode in three life. months. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's it for this week. Next week, we are doing um, Northanger Abbey chapters. Ten through twelve. And we'll be doing the next episode of Twin Peaks will be episode four slash three. (laughs) 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 And that's it. Perfect. All right. Bye. Good night. Good night.